Good morning. How are you all doing? <laughs> this morning, <coughs> we're going to look at, we're following the theme from Gospel of Matthew, and we are looking at uh, the theme, the servant, um, looking at the servant life of Jesus Christ. Um, shall we pray and commit this time to the Lord's hand? Father God, we come before you this morning and we pray that you'd help us as we look to you. We pray, Father, that we will bring ourselves under your word, minister to us, speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord God, that your word is powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. Pierce our soul, Lord God, pierce our hearts that your word will bring light to us. And the more and more we look into your word, the more and more light that comes, sheds into our lives, the darkness has to flee. We pray that you'll be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at um, relentless faith, faith of this woman who comes to Jesus with this encounter found in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. How many of you heard of Thomas Edison? Yeah. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the light bulb, storage battery, talking movies, and more than 1,000 other things. So he had a lot of things going for him. In December 1914, he worked for 10 years on a storage battery. One evening, when Edison was 67 years old, fire broke out in the film room. Within minutes, everything was destroyed, with all his assets going up in smoke. And although the damage exceeded $2 million then, the building was only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and they thought it would be fireproof. But it did not. He was no longer a young man and everything was going up in flames. Next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. <laughs> Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, Thomas Edison managed to deliver a first phonograph. Amazing man. We're going to look at a similar story of a woman who was not going to take no for an answer. A woman who persisted, who had relentless faith, in spite of all the op oppositions and difficulties and hurdles, she kept coming to Jesus. The situation of this story is that Jesus had just crossed the border into another country. He was going for a well-earned holiday. Now we know, we heard last time with Tim sharing that 
they were Pharisees and the Sadducees and teachers of the law who were after Jesus. They were nitpicking. They were after every word Jesus was saying. I was telling Tim <laughs> during the week, I used to work at uh, St. Peter's School as a cleaner. And we had a supervisor. After we clean, uh, we used to start at 4 in the morning and finish by 8.30. And she'll come around 8.30 and she'll go through everything that we have cleaned. And call us back to clean if it was dirty again. She would go over the doors, door frame on top. So we had to make sure everything was clean, nitpicking. So they, these were people who were nitpicking after whatever Jesus was saying. So here's the situation. This is where the map of Israel. And if you look up um, on the Mediterranean coast, you find two cities, Tyre and Sidon, which are about 60 kilometers north of Galilee. It is modern-day Lebanon. In those days, Lebanon was very popular. People almost called it Switzerland of the, of the Middle East, known for its hills and beautiful place. And this is where Jesus went. This was not a mission to preach the kingdom to a Gentile region. Jesus was simply getting away with his disciples for rest, for a holiday. He didn't go there for a day or two. In fact, he went for weeks. He was away for three or four weeks. Now, if you look at that map, it's all a hill country. In the next chapter, we find Jesus coming down to the Sea of Galilee, again in the north. And then he goes off to Caesarea Philippi, further up on the north, northwest. And if you can see Caesarea Philippi, he's, he's circling in that area, in the northern region, the hill country. And so we find this place in Tyre and Sidon, that's where Jesus was. Following the confrontation of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were sent from Jerusalem, south of Galilee, to the north to nitpick Jesus. They traveled almost 120 kilometers from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was on top, on, in, in, in the northern area, in, in the region, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. 120 kilometers. In those days, friend, there was no cars. They had to walk. That took a long time. In fact, they went because they wanted to find, nitpick Jesus. So off Jesus went to this place, he thought, no one is going to find him. These Pharisees are not going to come to a Gentile territory. They're going to stop at the border. They're not going to cross the border. So Jesus thought he would be fine in this region. So he goes up there to find a quiet place for he and his disciples for a while. It was a no-go zone for the Jewish people. Another reason he went there was because there's crowds of people. We've been saying he feeds the 5,000 and there's crowds of people. He decided to go up to the mountain and he sends the disciples off by boat. But the crowds are there following him. So he goes to this place again, maybe thinking, well, there's no crowd to follow me here. So Jesus is in an area where there is no confrontation with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's an area where neither Herod nor the religious leaders, nor the multitudes of people would bother him. This was not the place where Jewish people would go looking for him. Yet, even in this place, we find people came looking for him. Matthew, Mark chapter 7. In, uh, now this story, Matthew and Mark both talk about this. So we will be picking up from, different, uh, from these two uh, guys in their right and we'll get a good picture. 
So it says Jesus left the place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Probably he had a B&B somewhere there and got himself in with his disciples in this, hall, in this house and he did not want anyone to know it. How many of you would like a holiday like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yet, he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Oh, there we go. His holiday is gone. He did not want anyone to know, but here this woman came. And uh, this woman was not going to let Jesus go. We'll, we'll pick up the story. But Craig Bloomberg, one of the biblical scholars, is a scholar in uh, a Bible lecturer at Denver. I sat under his lecture, uh, in his lectures. Great guy. He says, Matthew is tracing the events of Jesus' life in terms of growing hostility on the part of Jewish leaders that increasingly led Jesus himself to turn to Gentiles and to anticipate later widespread of ministry on the part of his disciples among the Gentiles. So here we find a turning point in Jesus' life. He's in a Gentile ter territory. And his ministry now begins to turn towards the Gentiles. So here's one such event where Jesus meets a Gentile woman. This story in Matthew chapter 15 is very troubling. In fact, it's a difficult passage to interpret. It's an unsettling passage in the New Testament. It's, it's essentially built around the conversation between the Gentile woman and Jesus. Her faith in Jesus is relentless, and nothing was going to stop her. As I was reading the story, several words came up. Relentless, uh, resilience, uh, perseverance, uh, things like that. But I thought this word uh, 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 is, is a good one, relentless, because, an, because of the nature of the story and the way she comes to Jesus. So I decided to title this as relentless instead of resilient. So nothing was going to stop her. A Canaanite woman. Mark says a Syrophoenician woman. Wow, what's going on here? Now this Canaanite region was in the north. Again, the map where you saw in the north is a Canaanite area. In the Old Testament times, it was, these Canaanites were terrible. They worshipped uh, idols and all kinds of idols, even sacrificed their own children. So it, it was a messy, uh, uh, idolatrous religion. And Joshua brought the children of Israel into this area, and he began to clean them up. And people settled among them, yet, yet we find that people really did not drive them out. They remained as a thorn in the Jewish nation's side. So... Matthew brings this word Canaanite is just to, to shock his audience to show them who this lady was. But she lived in this region, Syrophoenician region, and so Mark kind of, kind of tones it down, saying she was a Greek Phoenician, so she had a Greek background, living, uh, uh, living in a Roman territory. So it's, she had a mixed nationality. That's the story. She had a mixed nationality. So she comes up to Jesus, and this is an important episode in the gospel. Since there are very few women in synoptic gospel uh, as important as this woman, we'll see why. It's remarkable also that this is the only time, this is the only time 
that Jesus loses an argument, especially to a Gentile woman. Wow, so it's an interesting passage. <laughs> to help us to understand this passage better, we're going to look at four responses or action. Two from the Canaanite woman and two from Jesus. So it's back and forth. To remember this passage better, and maybe in future as you read this passage, as you come across this passage, to help us to understand, I've looked at all these four points with a letter starting with R, and hence the title, Relentless. Firstly, verses 22. It says a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, this is not a big passage, friends, a small passage. So we'll look at these words very carefully. A Canaanite woman recognizes Jesus and calls out, Lord, son of David. Remember where Jesus is at this time? In a Gentile territory. No one knows about him. But this woman comes to Jesus. She recognizes Jesus and calls out. Look at the title she uses. A Gentile woman. Lord, son of David. Now this is a royal title given to Jesus. Not many Jews use this name. Least you don't find the disciples using this name. This gentle woman comes and says, Lord, son of David. It's a title used to describe the Messiah as the anointed one. Even the Jewish leaders and teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. This woman was. So in a sense, friend, Jesus is sending out this message. You Jewish people don't want to accept me as, as a Messiah. Here is a Gentile woman who recognizes me as a Messiah. Wow, so when Matthew and Mark were writing this, they were sending messages to the people who did not accept Jesus. Even today, the Jews don't accept Jesus as a Messiah. Many of Jesus' own people did not know Jesus as this woman knew who Jesus was. This shows that the Lord here is sovereign and therefore superior to David, the Messiah, David the ruler, and he calls himself the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. Now what was this woman's need? We find the same verse. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This was a desperate woman who wanted to see her daughter being healed. Her only daughter is suffering terribly. We don't see this in our Western world of demon possession or demon oppression. We find that a lot in the Eastern world where there's a lot of uh, worship, idol worship and all that. And I've seen women, I've seen children, women who are possessed by demons and families call, call, call us out for praying. So we go as a team and pray. And we see them suffering. Terribly. They cut themselves. They tear their hair out. They bang their head to the wall. And literally destroying their body. And parents cry out in agony. Please do something for our children. Who are suffering like this. So demon possession is, is terrible. Terrible sight. 
So this, this her daughter was struggling, was suffering ter ter terribly. So she comes to Jesus. And how did Jesus respond? 23 and 24. Here's Jesus reluctant. We see his reluctance in this, in, in, this uh, uh, in response of Jesus. Jesus did not answer a word. You know, men have this selective hearing. <laughs> All the women are laughing here. <laughs> so it's, it is. Okay, my wife tells me I've got selective hearing. So. He keeps quiet. He doesn't respond. She comes to him and says, Lord, son of David, help me. And Jesus is quiet. Friends, why doesn't God always answer our prayers when we pray? Have you felt God silent in your life? You've been praying and praying and praying, maybe for your own children, maybe for your own family, or for a crisis in your life, and yet God is silent. I have prayed and prayed, but I feel that God will not answer me. I've been experiencing God's silence my entire life. Said one young man. I prayed and prayed, and God is silenced in my entire life. Wow, that's the again agony of an unanswered prayer. God may be silent, but He's not still. He's not absent. He may not be changing the circumstances, but he's changing us. God uses the seasons of silence to get us prepared. God's silence does not always mean God's refusal. It may mean not this, not now, not yet, but soon. If we always got instant answers, we would take God for granted as if he was nothing more than a celestial genie, we rub the lamp and poof, God appears and answers us. No, he's not a celestial genie who appears every time we ask him and grants our wish. The silence of God is one of the most difficult life tests that we go through. What should you do? What should we do when God is silent? Remember his faithfulness and his past blessings. Live today on what he has already promised you and what he has already told you. Wait, wait. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait till you hear his voice again. How many of us give up at this point, friends, when we say we have been praying and praying and God hasn't answered us? But this woman did not. She did not. Jesus' silence did not stop her. She was relentless. Maybe she went to the disciples. Because the disciples, by this time, they had enough with her. They were irritated and they asked Jesus, Jesus, get rid of her. Give, just, just solve her. Just give her what she wants. Get rid of her. For she is like a broken record. On and on and on. She keeps crying out after us. They said, we have had enough with this woman. Please, Jesus, get rid of her. Look at the phrase. Keeps crying out after us. The disciples wanted Jesus to get rid of her ASAP. To put an end to this embarrassing outcast woman's presence in their midst. So they come to Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus. Say, Lord, do something here. 
finally Jesus speaks. And what he says, I have, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Oh now, come on Jesus. He seems to be pushing her further away. But in a sense, it was a reminder for disciples as well. Look at the phrase. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, people of Jewish people thought they were not lost. And Jesus was saying here, lost sheep of Israel. Remember in Isaiah, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's a reminder for the Jewish people. Yes, you all are lost again. Not only this Gentile woman, but all of you are lost again. It's like a lost sheep. But for this woman, it's like as if Jesus was pushing her away. Even Israel as a whole were lost, were like, like lost sheep. But to this woman, what did it mean? Why is Jesus pushing me away? Why isn't Jesus answering me? Friends, this treatment from Jesus doesn't stop her. And look at the next verse. The woman's relentless faith. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, please help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Wow. Wow, what an answer. Jesus was calling her a dog? The woman came and knelt before Jesus. Lord, please help me. Again, Lord, not master, not rabbi. Lord, please help. I am lost. I need an answer. Please help me. I'm looking at you. Please help me. She came and knelt before him. It's a beautiful word, Greek word, proskenio, means to fall prostrate before Jesus. Helpless. Lord, please help me. She fell at Jesus' feet in an act of worship, crying out to God. It was humble. It's broken. She was desperate. She's repentant. She's reverent. She's respectful and persistent. That was the attitude when she fell at Jesus' feet. I'll come again. She was humble. She was broken. She was desperate. She was repentant. She was reverent, respectful, and persistent. That is a cry of a woman's heart, of a mother's heart for a daughter. And that's a cry that she needs help from Christ. Even after Jesus seems to be pushing her away, yet she comes back again and again and again. This is a relentless faith, friends. This woman was not going to let Jesus go until she finds what she wants. Jesus pushed her further away, reminding her of the historic distinction between the Israelites and the Canaanites. The Israelites were blessed. The Canaanites were cursed. Jesus continued to say discouraging things to the woman. It is not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Leave alone an, an adult's food. But children's bread. Who would grab children's friend? Tell me. If a child is about to eat bread, who will grab that food? Jesus comes down to that level. 
calling someone a dog was a common insult, both in the Greco-Roman world and in the Jewish culture. You don't call someone a dog. Even today, in the Middle East, people want to curse someone, they would call someone a dog. In fact, Saddam Hussein became very unpopular among his people because he began to call his own citizens as dogs. It's a derogative thing. It's a terrible thing. One, one scholar suggests that Jesus appears to insult her with a racial slur by calling her dog. Is Jesus arrogant? Is he a racist? Or just plain mean? I think in fact for scholars to say that is just silly. If Jesus was racist, he wouldn't have come to this region. In fact, many times he met Gentiles. It was again sounding warning to the Jewish people. Remember, when Jericho was invaded by Joshua, in fact, there was a woman whom he let her go. She was a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. She comes into the genealogy of Jesus. So here is a Canaanite woman, a, a prostitute, who comes into uh, in the genealogy of Jesus. You'll find that in Matthew. First chapter, when Matthew opens up, starts writing this. He mentions this woman here. She too was a Canaanite, a prostitute in Jesus' family tree. So was Jesus a racist? No, he wasn't a racist. He wasn't bigoted. Some scholars try to soften this language by saying it could have mean household dogs like a household pets. You don't say mean things to our pets, isn't it? Look at this. <laughs> this is Lumi. Matt and Tam's dog. Tim sent me a video. You should watch the video. You should look at size. Trying to look over the table. Fascinating. So I thought this was this suits this perfect. So here's Lumi begging food <laughs> from the table. Sitting around the table. And Jesus uses this. So many scholars try to kind of tone it down by saying, well, it's not a scavenger dog on the street that Jesus was talking about. He is maybe talking about this pet dog at home. He was begging for children's food. And as the child grow, grows up, Tam, watch this. As the, your baby grows up, when you give food, she'll begin to throw. And this dog and Lumi will be waiting. As soon as something comes, he'll snap. And the child will laugh more. This whole thing is so funny. <laughs> I was asking Tam, how do you deal with Lumi Light when standing there? I, do you treat it harshly? He said, no, I don't treat it harshly. It's time to keep quiet. Just let him sit down. And in fact, if you look at the video, if you look at Lumi, he look, looks around this side. He turns his face off. So Jesus was kind of softening the stone. Maybe it's a pet dog. But yet, friends, yet, yet, calling someone a dog was still an insult. Was still an insult for this woman. So they say probably she wasn't much hurt about this. So when Jesus said that as an insulting term, two things could have happened to this woman. She could have become furious and really upset and hurt by Jesus. She would have demanded an apology or go to current affairs and say, look at this rabbi, look at what he's saying. All over the television, all over the national newspaper, a rabbi called me a dog. Secondly, 
She thought she was unworthy before God and would still plead and persist because he was the only one who was going to heal her. And she was relentless. I wonder, I wonder, how would you have reacted? There was a silence and there's this racial tones here and Jesus is trying to push her away. How would you have reacted, friends? How many of us tend to give up by this time? God is not answering my prayer and all these things happening to me. Well, I don't want Christianity. I don't want to go to a church. Look at all these things that happen in a church. I don't like the color of the carpet, so I don't go to church. I don't like the paint in this wall. I don't, uh, okay, this, you know the reasons why people stop going to church. This woman wasn't so. She was relentless in spite of all that has happened, in spite of all that Jesus was saying. Look at the next verse, verse 27. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Maybe I'll go back. Yes, it is, Lord. When Jesus said it's not right to take the bread of children and throw it to dogs, she didn't argue with Jesus. She says, yes, it is, Lord. These were faith-filled words. She turns it into an argu uh, this argument. Instead of arguing, she comes out in agreement. The woman addresses Jesus three times as Lord by this time. Three times. Lord, Lord, Lord. She was just, she just goes on praying, Lord, please help me. Lord, have mercy on me. Friends, I invite you, if you're looking for an answer, do the same. Come back to him again and again. If you haven't seen an answer, come back to him again and again. Lord, please help me. Please help me. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, reminds us that a fervent prayer of a righteous are powerful and effective. The word fervent has an idea of boiling. It means to have your soul stirred up. So you can't think of anything else, but you want an answer. And that's what this lady was going through. She wouldn't think of anything else. But just God, her soul was so stirred up for her daughter. See how Jesus responds. Jesus said to her, Woman, you have, a great, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Finally, the woman will receive an encouraging word from Jesus. Jesus honors the faith that seeks mercy. She has no resentment, no anger about her situation. She only knew that Jesus was a Messiah and who had come to heal people. And for some reason, he was in a town. And for some reason, a time like that, he was the Savior who was going to heal, heal her daughter. And he calls a woman, you have great faith. Now, Jesus never said this to another person. I began to look at other places in the scripture passage. There was this Roman centurion who came to Jesus. He complimented the great faith of the centurion, but he said it to the crowd, not to the centurion directly in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. But here, directly, he's talking to this woman. The gentle woman heard it from Jesus directly. Her faith was great because she would not give up. She would not stop until she got what she needed from Jesus. Let that be our faith, friends. Let that be our attitude. Relentless. 
Let's wrap it up. The contrast is truly remarkable in, his, in Israel uh, and Jesus trying to convince people that he was a Messiah. The Jews challenged Jesus, if you are the Messiah, show us a sign. Prove to us you are the Messiah. But this woman didn't ask Jesus for a sign. Didn't ask Jesus to prove himself as a Messiah. She came with this title, you are the son of David. A royal, she was exalting him to the highest place. Calling him Lord, a Messiah. This gentle woman saw Jesus more clearly than Jewish men quibbling over the details of the law. In the Gentile territory, Jesus met this woman who was convinced that Jesus was a Messiah. And his apparent attempt to put her off for the, for, as a test was not going to stop her. That must have been a great lesson for the disciples who were there watching all this. The crisis between Jesus and the Jews was soon going to intensify. Jesus is making very clear that the grace of God will be given to all who believe. To everyone who confesses on the name of the Lord. To everyone who believes in the name of the Lord. And friends, if there are some of you who are sitting here this morning, if you don't know who Jesus is, this woman says, Lord, please help me. Please help me can come to Jesus and say, Lord, please help me. This very morning, as you cry out to him, he will come into your life. It is as if Jesus was saying to his disciples, you don't know who I am, but this woman, this gentle woman knows who I am. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is a sovereign God. He is the one who created the heavens and earth, and he is our God. And friends, Let's not be put away if you don't get an answer from God. But let's persevere. Let's be persistent. Let's be relentless. Relentless. Coming back to him again and again. Asking God for an answer. Shall we pray? Father God, we come to you this morning. Oh God, we pray that maybe here in this room, here this morning, as we have been seeking this, some of us, Lord, here who haven't heard from you, and who said, I've been praying and praying, I, I can't hear God speaking to me. I've been praying and praying and praying, I've, I can't see an answer. We all have gone through such things in life. But God, how encouraging is the situation with this woman who comes to Jesus, who has this relentless faith. God, help us this morning. And as we cry out to you, help me, Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the King of Kings. And we come to you. We bow before you, Lord God. Answer our prayers. Those prayers, oh God, that have not been answered. And we have cried out all our lives. Oh God, this morning, we come to you. We humble ourselves. We come with repentant attitude. We come with the resilience. We come and bow ourselves before you. Help us, oh God, and hear our prayers.
We cry out to you from our hearts, God. We don't see anything else, but we want to see that answer. And this morning, Father, as we are here before you, as we need that answer, we look to you. Lord, you know our hearts at this very moment as we sit here. You know our hearts. You know, Lord, we've been crying, crying. And some of us have given it up. Lord, we come back to you. We come back to you. Help us, I pray, Lord. Help us. Answer our prayers. Even at this very moment. Lord, meet those needs. Right here in our midst. Meet those needs, Father. As we say the words, Lord, please help me. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And we look to you, Father. We look to you, Lord God. Even at this very moment, we are thinking of someone, somebody else who need an answer. Someone else in our family, in our workplace, that we are crying out for. As the Holy Spirit brings those names into our minds, Lord, we bring them to you as an incense offering. We lift those names to you. We lift those needs to you. God, answer those needs. Touch us at this very moment, Father, as we cry out to you. Help us, oh God. Help us as we commit ourselves into you, into your hands. We ask this in Jesus' name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In that name, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that name, the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.